So, this morning we are continuing our series, To Be or Not To Be. And I hope you're wearing your Don't Be Demas bracelets, okay, right here. Make sure you're wearing those. If you don't have one, when people ask, you know, what does it mean, Don't Be Demas? It means don't, don't love the world more than you love God. Don't give your life more to the world. Don't, don't choose the world over God. So there's a Don't Be Demas. There's some out of, I think, on a, on a uh, table out here and on your way out. If you don't have one, just grab one. But we're in this series, To Be or Not To Be, and we're talking about who we should be like in the Bible and who we should not be like in the Bible. We can learn from both. You can learn from the people who've done things amazing. You can learn from the people who've maybe fallen short a little bit. But I want to ask you a question to kind of kick us off here. What happens when your expectations for your life are not met? How do you react to that when you have these expectations for your life, but they don't turn out the way you want them to turn out? How do you respond when you hit a roadblock on the way to your dreams and your goals? Have you ever thought about that? Because, again, we can learn so much from the people in the Bible who dealt with controversy or challenges or trials and how they handled it. But we can also learn from a person like Demas who didn't handle it that well. But my question this morning is, as we read through this, how do you handle it when you hit a roadblock in your life leading to your dreams and to your goals? Now, to help answer those questions, I've chosen someone in the Bible that most people in this room have never really heard of. You've never really heard about him. Just like in the last couple of weeks, which I absolutely love. Because, you know, if you come to church for the very first time, or you come to church, you know, you've been coming to church for 30 or 40 years. In some cases like this one, you've never, you may have never heard this story. So you're on equal playing ground here. Her name is Axaw. Axaw. And we find her story in Joshua chapter 15, verses 16 through 19. It says this. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Axaw in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Axaw to him in marriage. One day when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also, and don't forget that little clause right there, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her upper and lower springs. So we learn that Axaw is the daughter of Caleb. Okay, so I need to give you, in order to understand Axaw and, and get really get, get the most out of this, I need to build kind of a history around her a little bit. Caleb, as most of you know, okay, is one of the most dynamic, well-respected men in all of Israel at this time, and always and has been, okay, throughout biblical history. Even in our own lives, we talk about Caleb. We know he was a, a dynamic personality. Caleb and Joshua were the two spies that were sent out by Moses to explore the promised land and the only two to come back with a, with a, with a positive report about the promised land. They were the only two men of their generation who went through, okay, the 40 year, the 40 year track in the wilderness and who were able to enter the promised land. All other males in Israel of that time were born in the wilderness, not in Egypt. 
Okay, they were not born in Egypt. They, you know, people came out of Egypt. They went, through the, they went through a 40-year track in the desert. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones of their generation able to go into the promised land. The rest of the, rest of the males uh, who were males who entered the promised land were born in the wilderness during those 40 years, not in Egypt. Caleb was 85 years old. Okay, I'm going to give you more a little background. Caleb was 85 years old when he wrote this in Joshua chapter 4 to 14, verses 10 through 12. It says this. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go into battle now as I was then now give me this hill country that the lord promised me that day real quick that hill country was filled with giants okay these were enormous people strong people fortified cities but an 85 year old caleb says i'm just as strong as i was 40 years ago i'm going to take this you yourselves heard that the anakites were there in their cities were large and fortified but the lord helping me i will drive them out just as he said so now the question is what can we learn about axaw from her from from her father the the experience that we have and we understand about her father okay let's think about caleb 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 was bold he was fearless he was a leader he was humble he was strong he was relentless he was loyal he was godly he was so many of these things so many of them and as we'll see those same characteristics are reflected in his daughter axaw some of those same characteristics are reflected in her as we read through the scriptures in Joshua chapter 15, verses 16 through 19, we read that Caleb offers his daughter, Axaw, as a, as, as to the hand of the person who, who basically can take and conquer this fortified city. So he says, anyone who can take on Kiriath-Sefer and can, can conquer it, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. See, in the Old Testament... It was a little bit more than two people coming together and loving each other. Now, sometimes that was the case. But in the Old Testament, it was a little bit more than just two people connecting and falling in love and they get married. In many cases, what happened was you had families, family alliances, if you will. And a lot of times marriage were, were put together for political reasons or financial reasons and also for love. So you have many things going into a marriage in the Old Testament. Parents, especially fathers, had a, a large role in organizing the, the connection or the union. But listen to me. There were some conditions, okay? There are some conditions here. This is always according to God's law and God's will. So there were some conditions to how much parents could have influence in the marriage of their children. One of the conditions is that the marriage had to be in alignment with the, with the will and the, and the law of God. Okay, it had to be in alignment with God's law. That was number one. Number two, she had to be willing. Parents had influence at that time, but the, the, they, were not, they were not supposed to. So I'm sure that it happened, but from God's law, they, were not, they didn't have the ability to force someone into marrying a person against their will. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we say, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that happened. Understand something. The Bible records what is. Okay. 
We can learn from people making mistakes and going against, from, against God's law, and we can learn people who follow God's law completely. But throughout Scripture, you're going to find people doing things that were against God's law. Just because, just because they're against it doesn't mean God went along with it. It means that's what happened. It's just what happened. It's not going to lie. This is what happened. You don't have to do the same thing. God's not pleased with it sometimes. So he, that's kind of, that's the layout of this. Now, let's go back again and think about this. Sometimes we think, oh, way back then, there were fathers, but they weren't as nice and they didn't care about their daughters as much as we do now. That's ridiculous. Caleb loved Axel, okay? Loved her. His only daughter, okay? It was his only daughter. Now, you're, if you're a dad and you have daughters, you have one daughter, you have a couple daughters, doesn't matter. If you have daughters, they mean a lot to you. After they're born and they're healthy, the only thing you're thinking about, well, not the only thing, but one of the things you're thinking about is, oh God, please give her, bring someone into her life who is godly and strong and is worthy of my daughter, okay? Dads love their daughters. So he says, listen, I want, if you're going to marry my daughter, you've got to prove yourself. Whoever's going to marry my daughter has to prove themselves, so you have to go into battle, and whoever can take this fortified city can have my daughter's hand in marriage. Sure, they discuss this. So that's what happens. And who wins? Othniel. Othniel is able to take the city. I'm going to back up just for a second and say this as well. I don't want to miss this. There is nowhere in the Bible, okay, nowhere that it says that if a person, if a woman is, I'm going to use the word abused and you can, you can fill in the details, okay? All right. If a woman is abused by, or if she's abused by someone, that she's forced then to marry that person. That is, that came up in 2000, it's been around, but 2015 was big because all the marriage stuff going around, who can marry who and everything. And all of a sudden, you're on Facebook and everybody's saying, well, how can you go by the Bible? The Bible says if a woman gets abused or abducted or whatever else by a person, that, she has to marry that person. That is not true. That is completely untrue. People pull things out of context. They don't read the whole passage or study it. And then they, they, someone says it. Some, someone, Dr. So-and-so, says that. And everybody else pulls from it and spreads it around. Completely bogus, okay? Against God's law. Not true. Didn't happen. Let's move on. Okay, so Othniel, Othniel was the man who wins Akshaw's hand in marriage. Now, I've got to build. So we got Caleb, okay? I'm going to talk a little bit more about Caleb in a second. But, uh, but Othniel, Othniel's a man's man, okay? This guy was the first judge in Israel. He became the first judge in Israel. We already know he sacked the, this fortified city. So his name means Lion of God. And it mattered back then, okay? Lion of God. So you have this Lion of God, the first, the first judge in Israel. That's her husband. So she's flanked. I love this woman. She's flanked on one side by Caleb, holy mackerel, and Othniel on the other. That's who she's surrounded by. That's who she has in her life. Now, a little more history. In Judges chapter 3. It talks about Israel being surrounded, okay, being in the midst of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and, 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 the, and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all these different ites. They're all around them, right? They're all around them. And, and it says that they, they started to exchange their daughters to be married to 
those, those groups, which, again, is not what God wanted. God wanted them to be holy and set apart. They were not being set apart. They were marrying into those groups, those nations, and those nations were marrying their daughters into Israel. And, and things were happening that says that, the, that they were beginning to worship the God of, gods of the Canaanites and beginning to serve the God of the Canaanites. And it basically says this. It says that they kept on practicing evil in, few, in full view of the Lord, which means they were, they were just boldly and blatantly doing all these things and saying, well, just like... Some nations today kind of like snubbing God, like, yeah, who needs him? Everything's going well. We're good. Who, who wants to bother with God? And so in full view of the Lord, they were basically acting out and, and doing whatever they chose to do, even though it went against God's law. And so God put them under the dominion of, of King Kushnian Rish Asayim. Okay, Kushan Rishathayim. So for eight years, they're under the dominion of Kushan Rishathayim. Hey, listen, some of you are pregnant and some of you are adopting. I'm just telling you, think about that name, Kushan Rishathayim. That, you'd be the only one. <laughs> you'd be the only one in America with that name, right? Kushan, let me think. Kushan Rishathayim. Yeah. Um, so, so Kushan Rishathayim is this king, nasty king. God puts him under the dominion of the king for eight years. And so the people of Israel, like they normally do, they realize, wait. Wait a second. We do need God. Wait, that wasn't a very good idea to snub God and act that way in front of God. And so they cry out for deliverance and God gives them Othniel to deliver them. And Othniel, being the man that he is, he comes through and he delivers them. In Judges chapter 3 and verse 10, it says this is important. The spirit of the Lord was on him and he governed Israel. That's a huge thing. The spirit of the Lord was on him. And then in verse 11, it says, as a result, the land was quiet for 40 years. Means there's peace, times of peace. You don't have peace without strength. Okay, simple as that. You don't have peace without strength. Othniel was a strong, strong man, a strong, strong leader. So let's take a moment to reflect a little bit on, on, on Axaw and who her father was. Her father's Caleb. Okay? Caleb, Caleb is, is a man's man. Caleb's man card is laminated and hanging in the, in the, in the real man's hall of fame. Okay? It's, it's, it's a done deal. Everybody knows it. When it's like, what land do you want, Caleb? I want, I want the land up where those 45 fortified cities are, up where the giants are. I want to take on the giants. No fear at all in this man. He is, he is a man's man, laminated card in the Hall of Fame of manhood. Okay? Then you have her husband, Othniel. Okay? Othniel, I just described him to you, sacked the city, you know, king, all this kind of stuff. He was, he was an amazing leader. So you have Othniel. These are not two men that you would want to um, get on the bad side of or try to take on in a confrontation. All right? Emotionally, any way you, in, in any way you want. These were strong, strong, dynamic men. When the Bible says the spirit of the Lord was on him, this is powerful. This matters. Let me give you another example of when the Bible says, and every time the Bible says the spirit of the Lord was on him in power, every time it says that, something really cool happens right afterwards, something dynamic. You're like, yes, gives you goosebumps, all right? So you have that said. So let me give you another place in Judges chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, where the spirit of the Lord came upon someone. And I've, I've talked about this before, but I'm going to read it to you again. It's about Samson. And it says, Samson went down to Timnah together 
together with his father and mother, as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. And here it comes. The spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully and came, came upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. So here comes a young lion, not an old raggedy lion. Make sure it says a young, strong, powerful lion comes roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon him. And Samson tears the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. So my question is, what kind of woman, okay, love this woman, What kind of woman do you have to be in order to be mentioned in the Bible with those two men flanking you? Oh, my gosh. What kind of woman do you have to be? I want you to get this, okay? Men and women, someone we need to be aware of, someone we need to follow. What kind of woman do you have to be to be mentioned alongside of Caleb and Othniel? So let's go back to her story. Axaw. Wants a piece of land. So she goes to her husband, Othniel, and says, Hey, Othniel, could you please go to talk to my father, Caleb, and ask him for a piece of land? You know, we're married. We're together. We need some land. We want to get our family. We need to establish ourselves. So if you could go there and talk to him, that would be great. First thing that tells me is that Axel was a woman who respected and loved her husband. She was a godly woman who respected and loved her husband. She wanted him to take spiritual authority in the house. She asked him to go to talk to her dad. That's great. Could she go? Sure she could. But she says, why don't you go talk to my dad and ask for the land? So he goes and asks for the land. Again, why not? Why would you not want him to spiritually lead? Because he, according to the Bible, is a person filled with the spirit of the living God. All right? So strong, powerful man. Go ask my dad. Great. Othniel goes and asks Caleb for some land. And Caleb basically gives him a field. Um, and it was it was... It was in, in the Negev. In the Negev, that field was basically dry and very difficult to work. Okay, and I'll get into why in a second. So he go, Othniel goes to Caleb. Caleb says, yes, here's some land. You know, here, boom, take this land. Othniel goes back and says, honey, look, I did it. I, you know, my to-do list. Here's one. I, I, your, I talked to your dad. He gave him this land. Well, um, the land is dry and very, very difficult to work. I remember when I was in Nigeria and it was a dry season and I had to dig a hole. I literally hit the ground with a pick, okay? And I'm not exaggerating, smoke came out of the ground. There was no imprint into the ground. It was smoke. I hit it a couple of times that happened. I finally turned to the, the chief and I said, am I, am I just banging on a rock? And he laughed and they all kind of laughed. They're all standing there and they said, no, that's just dry ground. I was like, holy mackerel. So you can imagine, okay, she gets some dry, um, very difficult to work land. So now what? Okay, here, here's what we're talking about. Now what? Caleb gives her some dry kind of barren land and it's not what she expected. This is not what Axel expected at all. She was expecting, you know, hey, dad's great and give me some land. So my question to us is how do we react? How do you react when things don't go your way. How do you react when you're faced with obstacles and disappointments? She, she wanted something, didn't get what she expected. Now she's faced with an obstacle. This land is not very good. 
and she's faced with a lot of disappointment. Okay, I thought this would be awesome, be simple. It's not. Now what do I do? So my question to all of us is how do we react? What do we do in those situations? Because we're trying to learn from someone. Okay, we know what Demas would do, but what, what, what should we do? Well, here's what most people, a lot, a lot of people do. They blame others. My dad, my, my dad is such a loser. Oh, I can't believe it. I asked for this. This is what I get. My dad's such a loser. And, uh, you know, he ne- and then you get the, the nevers and always. He, he never gives me anything, right? Never and, and never gives me anything. And then what we do is, much of the time, what we do is, and you know people like this, they then use that experience that they had as an excuse for further failure down the road in the future. And when people ask them, well, what, what's wrong? Why don't you? Well, you don't understand my, my boss, my, the, my teacher, my coach, my, uh, my mom, my dad, my uncle, my cousin, my friends, whatever else. There's a reason why. There's a reason why you can't move forward. There's a reason why you can't push forward. There's a reason why you can't accomplish what God has for you because you're busy blaming someone else for what happened back then. So when we face an obstacle and disappointment, we just basically, yeah, we give up. Or we blame God. If God would have, I don't understand why God does. God gave that person this. Why did he give me this? And I don't, I've, been, I've been stiffed. God doesn't love me. God doesn't treat me. He loves everybody else and he cares about everybody else and he answers everybody else's prayers and he, he gives everybody, but he doesn't do that for me. I still am a Christian, but he doesn't do it for me. And so you just kind of give up or you blame yourself, whatever, but you quit is the point. Whatever excuses you're giving, you're quitting. When some pressure is applied, I thought when I came to Christ, everything was going to work out perfectly. I was never going to have to face any of these difficulties. But when you do face difficulties, what happens is you, 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 you succumb to the pressure. Remember Demas and Aristarchus. Demas and Aristarchus are walking with Paul. They're getting, they're in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus, they're going through riots and, and, uh, and the Jews are trying to stop them from, from presenting the message and they're putting put in jail and all this kind of stuff. Aristarchus sticks with Paul to the very end. Demas on the other hand, is thinking, this is not what I expected. We're hitting roadblocks all the time. This is unfair. This is wrong. I thought I'd be this great speaker in front of all these people. I thought, I thought, this is probably what he's thinking in his mind, the pride of life, because Paul said he fell in love with the world and he left me. So Demas is thinking, Thessalonica, well, this is really tough, you know? So when the, tough get, when, the t- when the going gets tough, the tough go and they get wasted in Thessalonica so they don't have to think about all the difficulties they have to face or they hook up with all these women and so they can just, you know, pleasure and all that kind of stuff so they can forget their problems. And that's Demas. Don't be Demas, okay? Don't be Demas. Don't love the world more than God. Don't give up so easy. Don't, don't live that way. Be Aristarchus who stays with Paul to the very end, went through the exact same experience, but he sticks with Paul. He sticks with Paul all throughout the way. Here's the thing. Here's what, I, here's what I see in our culture, okay? The enemy throws up a roadblock and we throw up the white flag. Immediately. The enemy throws up some roadblock and it's not the way you expected, it's not what you wanted, it's not what you thought, and all of a sudden you throw up the white flag and you surrender. Our culture, we've lost, we don't have like the resilience we need to have. Our culture is lacking in resilience. And I love the word chutzpah. Okay, we're lacking in chutzpah. What I mean, what I mean by chutzpah is audacity and guts and nerve and boldness. We're lack. Demas didn't have the. He didn't have chutzpah. Things came into his life. He's off to Thessalonica to get wasted and hang out with women, whatever the case may be. But Axel, on the other hand, had chutzpah. Okay, she had chutzpah, and so did her father Caleb, and so did her husband Othniel. They had chutzpah, but Axaw had chutzpah. So I asked the question, how do you deal with those things? Axaw took action. 
She took action. She took action. She got on a donkey and she went to see her father and she was saying to herself, okay, I'm going to go see my father. This land's not going to work. So what do I do? And she goes there and she asks him for springs of water. Okay. There's no water on her land. She needs springs of water. Now, here's the thing. Just because Axaw is surrounded by a powerful and dynamic husband and a powerful, dynamic father doesn't mean that she's not a powerful and dynamic person in her own right. Matter of fact, she probably learned and grew from being in relationship with them. So Axaw is a dynamic person in her own right. See, each of us has a unique purpose. Every single person in this room has a unique purpose. We may, we may be surrounded, you and your family, with your friends, with your co-workers. You may be surrounded by men and women of incredible giftedness. But that does not mean we have less worth in the eyes of God or our purpose is less than someone else's. We still have purpose. We are not less than. We are not less worthy in the eyes of God because we're surrounded by dynamic, gifted, talented people. We have our own purpose. Axaw was surrounded by, in that culture, dynamic men. But she was dynamic in her own right. She looked at the land and realized, this is not going to work for me or my family or the goals that I have set out for my family, this is not going to work. So she went and she goes to her father and she asks for more land. This part of the story, again, tells us what a godly woman she was. You say, well, how do you figure that? Well, in the Hebrew, the way she asked her father, the way she asked would be described as a person making a humble plea to someone in power and authority. So she goes and makes a humble plea to someone, her father, who's in power and authority. She respected her father. She goes there. She didn't go in with a big fat attitude. She went in and made a humble plea to her daddy, if you will, for more land. And that's exactly the way Caleb took it. See, the land, I'm going to say this again, the land in the Negev was land that was dry because there was a south wind blowing on that land, in that area. And that south wind made that land so dry and so difficult to work with because it was literally coming. The wind was coming off the desert. It was coming off the desert. So that's what she's dealing with. So she asks for springs of water. Springs of water make land extremely valuable. Okay. So if you don't have water, your land is pretty much not very valuable. It's made a little bit worthless. She probably had a massive amount of land, but it really didn't have the value that she wanted it to have. Now, I sit back and say that Axaw was a very savvy businesswoman. Okay? And you say, well, how do you say she's a savvy businesswoman? Because she, she has this big old piece of land that, Ox, that Othniel got from Caleb, right? But then it has no water on it. So she then goes to her father and asks for water. But here it says, this is what it said in the very beginning. Give me also. It doesn't say, hey, I'll trade you. Hey, let's switch. It says, thank you very much. I'll take that massive piece of land. But I need springs of water as well. The springs of water that she's getting could feed all of the land. So I think she's a pretty savvy businesswoman. She's pretty smart. She's pretty savvy. So she gets that land and she gets more. So Caleb gives her upper and lower springs. 
He gives her a whole lot of water. In the desert, water springs are valuable, they're important, they're strategic, and whoever controls the water, think about this, if, you're, if you have the property and you control the water, you control the entire area. You can stop water, you can, re- you can readjust it in different directions. So she controlled the entire area. Without water, nothing grows. Without water, everything dies. We understand that. Without water, you're at a loss. You're at the mercy of when it's going to rain. She didn't want to be in the mercy of when it was going to rain. And so she got upper springs. Upper springs are the springs that come out of the ground. Okay, they'll come to the surface in the desert. You know, you see those oases or you see streams of water in different parched areas. We see that in California all the time. There's these streams. So the upper springs were the water that came to the surface. Normally, water is absorbed in the pores soil and will sink down until it hits a non-porous rock bed and it lands there and then over time it will find its way to the surface again push on through depending on the landscape it'll come up but in most cases if you have a really really dry season and you have this from your own land your grandparents whatever else they had land and you notice the stream was running in the spring and the winter and the fall but it wasn't running in the summer because when it came to the surface it was so hot it dried the water up so that was the one, one area that she had. She had upper water. She had the upper springs to, at her disposal. Now, she also, had, she also had the lower springs. Lower springs, on the other hand, are when the water, they sink down into large underground chambered, chambers called artesian wells, okay? These wells are massive, filled with millions of gallons of water, and they don't dry up. Okay, so she had upper springs and she had lower springs. She's a savvy businesswoman. He gives her all that. These lower springs were extremely valuable. So Caleb was was very generous to his daughter in giving her upper and lower springs. Now she has all the water she needs. In Israel today, in modern Israel, the deserts are great places for agricultural, uh, doing agriculture because they use these types of springs. They have turned the the desert into, into lush farmland, if you you will, because they can take advantage of the artesian wells. Axaw teaches us, okay, this is important, teaches us that we need to come to the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, in humility and ask for the best. Don't settle. Don't settle in your life. You, your life right now, spiritually or emotionally, whatever, it may be dry. It may be barren. Ask for more. Ask for more. This is your heavenly father. He loves you. The Bible says, cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, can I have more? I have this and I'm not complaining. I just, uh, maybe I am, but can I have something better? Can I have more? Can I have a better relationship? Can I have more of this or more of this in my job, in my, my relationships, and whatever the case may be? Father, help me to become the best person you've created me to be. Help me become that person. I need more. See, Axel got her piece of land. And Axel reminds me of the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31, 16 says this. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. In her case, she saw the field. She said, um, not happening. Let's do this again. Let's try again. Thank you, hubby. Nice try. You know what I mean? My father sometimes can be a putz or whatever. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to him. The Bible never says that she sinned in going and asking for more. Never says that. It never says she was disrespectful to her husband or to her father by asking for more water. And I had to laugh. I really did as I studied through this. I really enjoyed this. I I really enjoyed this study. 
as I studied through how she approach both these powerful men in her life. You know you have to approach people like this a certain way. And she approached them in the most incredible way. It says she urged Othniel, her husband, she urged him, and then she asked for a special favor from her dad, okay, from her daddy. I'm sure her eyes are about that big, and she had that little puppy kind of look on her face, and she went and asked for a special favor from daddy, and she urged, and, and the Hebrew urge means she persuaded him, she persuaded her husband to go to, to Caleb. Now, it doesn't tell us how she persuaded him, so I'll leave that up to your imagination, okay? But she persuaded him to go to Caleb. I, 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 love, I love how she approaches Caleb as well. She goes to Caleb, and it says that she... She asked for a special gift, which means a, ble- a special, a special, yeah, a special gift. And it means a blessing or a gift, right? It's a blessing. God, Father, Dad, if you will, in her case, will you bless me? Will you give me this gift that I'm asking for? See, here's another thing. And this is good. She learned how to approach every person in her family in a way that motivated them to want to do, to listen to the words, she motivated them to want to do what she needed. She needed to get this done. So she, she, she went to them and motivated each of the powerful people in her family to, to want, they wanted to do this for her. Because of the way she asked. That is, it's incredible. Her attitude, her heart. Caleb realizes something at this point. Had to realize, not only do I have a beautiful daughter, but I have a wise daughter. I have a real savvy daughter. You know, again, the Bible doesn't say, it doesn't say that she was manipulative. It doesn't say that she was disrespectful. It doesn't say that she sinned in asking for Caleb for a second piece of land. Okay? I was reading some commentators, and I'm just going to throw this in because it kind of bothered me. But some of the commentators that I was that was reading, they said that they used the word pushy. She was pushy. Or or they they said at one point that that she was discontent. He had given her Caleb had given this land and we can learn a big lesson from Axel about being discontent with what you're given. I totally disagree with that. She wasn't discontent. She wasn't she wasn't pushy. I'm going to tell you something. If if you change if I said it was Axaw, which is a cool, tough guy name. Um, if I said Axaw was a man, you wouldn't use the word pushy. You'd use the word bold, you know, dynamic, and, you know, he had guts and courage. And she wasn't, I don't, I totally disagree with the idea of her being pushy. Because, look at the context of this. Could you push Caleb around? No. Could you push Othniel around? No. In the culture, could you do it? No. No, she didn't do that. It, she reminds me of the woman, the Canaanite woman, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, who comes to Jesus, so I'll try to tell the story quickly, but she comes to Jesus and, she, and her daughter's sick and he wants, she wants Jesus to heal her daughter. So you think land is important to a mom, nowhere near as important as her child. So this Canaanite woman comes and she's trying to get Jesus' attention and Jesus is like, you know, listen, I don't have time right now. And, and I, he's, Jesus is God, so he's playing all this perfectly. And, he, and she comes again the second time, well, blah, 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 and this, that, and the other thing. He said, listen, I'm focused right now on the children of Israel, and her answer to him after the second time, she could have done one of two things. Stop being so pushy, all right, and left. She didn't. She said, even the dogs get scraps from the table, and you could just, in my mind, it's just me, you could just see Jesus with his back turned and the big smile coming across his face saying, there you go. That's what I'm looking for. And Jesus, this woman would not take no for an answer, 
Axel would not take no for an answer. And Jesus didn't say to the, to the Canaanite woman, you are so pushy. You are so disrespectful. What he said, you have great faith. And he heals her. He heals her daughter. You have great faith. We shouldn't just sit back and expect no from an answer when it comes to life, when it comes to going to our father. We, I mean, you know, in the right context. And so the Canaanite woman and Axel did the same exact thing. They basically would not take no for an answer. This is the kind of woman, whether you're a man or a woman, this is the kind of woman that we need to follow. This is the kind of person that we need to be like. This is the kind of person that's like Aristarchus, if you will. Same kind of attitude. Someone who works within God's principles to accomplish God's purpose. She worked within the principles of the, of the word, okay, to accomplish her purpose in life. You may feel like you've been dealt a bad hand, all right? You may. You really, you sit in here, you know, I have been dealt the worst hand. Some people have been dealt such a good hand, and I've been dealt the worst hand. You may feel like your life, you're in a spiritual or emotional desert right now. You just, my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Maybe you feel that way in your relationships. Maybe you feel that way at your job. Maybe you feel that way when it comes to your goals and dreams. Maybe that you feel that way when it comes to your health, but you feel like you're in this spiritual or emotional desert. You may feel burned out or exhausted from the, the trials and the challenges that you have to face in life. And if that's the way you feel, listen, if that's the way you feel, Axel, her story can teach us something. It can teach us that when we feel that way, we need to come to God. We need to come before the Father. We need to present our requests to Him. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says it really well. It says, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And when we come to God in humility, when we come to our father, our daddy, our, our, our God, when we come to the father in humility, he will give. He promises us. He promises I will never leave you or forsake you. He promises to give us that abundant life that we're that we're longing for. In Isaiah 55 and verse three, it says, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. If we come to God in humility, he promises promises to love us and he promises to give us the life that he has designed for us. We need to stop throwing up the white flag when, when someone throws a roadblock in our way. And when there's disappointments and frustrations, we need to keep going forward like Aristarchus, like Axaw. We need to live like they live their lives. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to think about this. If we live like Axaw, God will refresh our lives like springs of water. He will give us a, a peace that passes all understanding. He will give us a joy that has absolutely no limits. He will, he will give us wisdom to overcome the struggles and the difficulties and the challenges that we face in our lives. He will carry us through all of life's trials and disappointments. He won't just help us. He'll carry us through them. So as we take communion, as we close out here and take communion, let's be like Axaw. Let's be like that Canaanite woman and humbly ask Jesus as we focus on him, his death and resurrection, as we focus on him, let's ask Jesus for what we need. What do you need? Let's be bold. Let's not take no for an answer. Let's have chutzpah resilience 
to wait for and patience to wait for God's answer, to follow his lead. He created us. He designed us. He knows what our purpose is in life. We need to ask him and we need to ask him boldly. I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we take communion, starting in verse 23. I'm going to read the verse. After I'm finished reading, I'm going to pray for the cup and I'm going to pray for the bread, which symbolizes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. When I'm finished praying without worrying about anyone else, you can get up as the Holy Spirit leads you. Go take of the bread, take of the cup, come back and sit down in your chair or come up front and kneel, whatever, however you want to do this. You don't have to wait for anybody else to take and eat. But allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. And I'll close this in prayer. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For where I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread which symbolizes the body of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus was willing to give up his body to sacrifice himself on the cross for us. That we could have a relationship with you. And God, this morning we pray that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Father, we thank you for the cup which symbolizes your blood, which was shed for us, covers us from all of our sins, allows us to go to you, to come to you as our Father and ask for the things that we need. Ask for forgiveness. Ask, Lord God, for the best, for the best that you have for us. We thank you for that blood that covers over all of our sin and allows us to enter into the Holy of Holies. Father, we pray that as we take the bread and we take the cup, that we would come before you and ask of those things that we need with humble hearts, with patience, and Lord, with the endurance that we need to wait on you to answer our prayers. But may we continue and continue and continue to ask. And we follow the example of Axel. And only expect the best, Lord God. And never be willing to settle in this life. Because we know you have dynamic things for us to do. We know you purpose those dynamic things in our lives. And we pray that you would bring them about. As we humbly give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. And pray, dear God, that we would never settle for anything but the best because we want to live our lives for you. And you, do, you deserve nothing but the best. Help us to be bold, to have courage, to be loyal, to be humble, to live every bit of our lives for you, every breath for you, because we love you. We thank you. We praise you for being our God.
for giving us examples to follow and how we can be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. After the service here, we're going to have a core meeting. We're going to go 